All right, good evening. Praise the Lord. Let's open our Bibles uh, this evening to First uh, Chronicles. We're going to look at chapters 23 through 25 this evening. First Chronicles 23. Last week we looked at chapter 22 where David uh, prepares to build the temple. And remember that God did not allow David to do it himself, although he gave him credit for having it in his heart to do it. And aren't you glad that that is the way God's heart is toward you? Sometimes you might have a heart to do something, and for whatever reason, maybe you're, you're not mobile, maybe you're a crippled, maybe you are sick, maybe you don't have the money to do certain things, but you have the heart to do something, and you do what you can, and that's what God is more concerned about rather than if you're able to follow through on something, and I, I believe that is true, and I, and I say that because of what we have here, David having in his heart to do it. But God says, David, you can't build me a temple. You're a a man who has much blood on his hands. And remember that God had led him in those battles in shedding that blood. Okay, so that's something to remember. God had led him to do those things. Those were God-sanctioned things to do. And so you may wonder, well, why does God punish him for that? Well, it's not really punishing him. It's just God had a different plan for his life as opposed to Solomon's life. And I think that's something for us to get our head around because a lot of times we see people involved in ministries and we're thinking, what about me, Lord? Why can't I do that? And God's simple answer may be, well, I've got something different for you. i got a different plan for you. And it may not be as... Glitzy, it may not be as uh, upfront and uh, in front of the cameras, if you will. And, and we, 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 got, we can't really think like that. And in the church, we do think like that oftentimes. We think of the pastor, you know, he's the one that's on the whatever, you know, or whoever. And it doesn't really matter. It, it ought not to matter. Because the main thing is what, when we get home to glory, the Lord is going to be rewarding all of us to our faithful service to him. And he's not going to give more to the guy who has been up in front most of the time. He's going to look at all of us. And, the, and the, the, the playing field is leveled at the cross. Do you follow me? We're all sinners saved by grace. But David had it in his heart. And God says, David, you, it's a good thing. I, I appreciate that. But you can't do it. And remember, David's heart was that, well, if I can't do this myself, then I'm going to supply my son, Solomon, who is going to build this temple. I'm going to give him everything I can. I'm going to give him the the greatest leg up on this thing, and I'm going to gather all the materials and all the spoils of battles that David had. He accumulated a lot of gold, a lot of silver. Remember, we looked at the number the, the other week. It was astronomical. The amount of gold, just the gold alone was somewhere between 250 to $394 billion in today's estimation. That's quite a bit. <laughs> and that's just the gold, not counting the silver and the brass and the precious stones. And, and, and not only that, not only did David procure all of that for his son, laying up in store, if you will, for his son, but he also provided the blueprint. God gave to David the blueprint And not only the blueprint, but David had an incredible arsenal of human resources available to him. And he's like, you know what? When my son comes into power, I'm going to make sure that everything is organized according to who's going to be serving in the holy place, who's going to be serving in the temple surrounding it, who is going to be aiding them. And then not only that, because there's such a great deal of people now to serve, 
I'm going to make it real easy on everybody. I'm going to divide them up into divisions of 24. So every person does two weeks or a week or whatever it is. And, and they, are, they don't burn out. And there's something about that, I think, for us to learn in the Christian church too. Oftentimes we don't have as many servants to do certain things. It's been said that in the Christian church, usually in most churches, in most churches, there's like less than, less than 5%, 5%, less than 10%, something like that, of people in the church that do everything. And I, I say that not to make you feel awkward, but to encourage you and to exhort you too. If there's something that you can do, even if it's something simple, would you, would you pray about it? Because uh, many hands make light work. And there's always things to do. Most of it, unfortunately, is cleaning. That's the part that nobody really wants to do. But it's something to pray about, something to think about. But David had a great number. And David's like, I'm going to lay up in store for my child, for Solomon. In fact, remember last week we looked at this verse in 2 Corinthians. Paul, speaking to the Corinthian church, he said, For the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. Okay, so this is, this is Paul's heart, and I believe he got this heart from God by revelation. It's not the other way around where the children lay up for the parents. No, the parents lay up for the children. That's why today we have inheritances and you know, a, a mom and dad that have worked hard all their life, and they get to a point where they're nice and comfortable now, and now they can, they, they can live comfortably, and now they can start um, releasing some of these things to their kids. And hopefully their kids are careful in, in, in the use of that, and especially when the parents pass on. The parents got to have incredible wisdom, especially non-saved people that don't know Jesus. To give all of their wealth to their child or children could be a real bad thing to do based on that child. Because some kids can't handle that. They'll just go out and spend it on dumb stuff. They won't invest it. They won't think wisely. They're just thinking, wait, I'm going to go to uh, you know, the Apple store and I'm going to buy you know, you know, one of everything. And, and they, they do strange things with money. But, so we have to obviously be very careful. But the children ought not to lay up for the parents, but the parents for the children. And this was, remember, David's heart. And, um, and not only that, but David would help Solomon and cause the building of the temple and, and, and help build it, and for it to be done decently and in order. Decently and in order. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse 40, Paul exhorted them to do the same thing. He said to them, let all things be done in decently and in order. And this is true in the Christian church. Paul was speaking to the Christian church, and David was doing the same thing. Do you see the... The congruity there? He was doing these things. In Romans, it tells us that we have many members. Romans 12, beginning in verse 4, it says, For we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we, being many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another, having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then Paul goes on to list these different gifts that we use for the, for the edification of all. And so we're all the body of Christ. And we're all to contribute something. And you do, whether you know it or not, when you step into this building, 
Especially if you're led by the Spirit, you're going to be praying with people. You're going to be talking to people, encouraging them, letting those gifts be used. And, and you know, the gifts of exhortation, the gift of, uh, of a word of knowledge. I mean, these things happen in this fellowship all the time. And you might not even be aware of it, but it happens. And allow that to, to, to work freely. And again, even though David wasn't able to do this, he would do everything he could. And, um, and he provided everything. And David, as we're going to see tonight, he's going to establish the order, the divisions in which the priests, the Levites, the musicians, the gatekeepers, the officers, and the military, how they would serve. And they would do so in their right order or in their courses. Think of that as on a rotation basis. And even here in the church, we have rotation of, of different things. We have different people leading worship at different times. In the meal ministry, there's four different teams working. We have these things happening. On Sunday nights, you know, the pastors and the elders are rotating on who teaches on Sunday nights. And we do that for a reason. Not only does it benefit all, but it also gives people a break, too. Has anybody experienced burnout in their job? Do you have a job uh, and, and, and where you walk in and there, there's no staff and, and, or the staff has left and now you're stuck with everything that everybody else used to do? I know at least two people in this room where that's the case, where things are happening and, and, and it's all on you now. Now you're doing the job of four people. And what happens? You get flustered. You, the pressure is on. And then you find yourself working 12, 14-hour days. And you get burnt out. That's not God's design. It wasn't his plan. And we'll see that even tonight. Let's actually look at First Chronicles chapter 23. I've put a, uh, something on the screen. This is the only thing I'm going to have up on the screen all night. And it's basically just a chart that I made today. And it's, it's just listing some of the players that we're going to be talking about. Some of the people. And... Um, and mainly talking about, you know, if we look at this little chart here, it, it talks about the, the family, or Levi, one of the 12 um, uh, brothers. You know, Levi, he, gives, he has three sons, Gershon, Kohath, and Merari. And then we're really going to just be focusing on Kohath, because it's from Kohath that the, um, the, the most significant things in the temple are being dealt with. And in fact, the, this is kind of uh, getting us into the, the roles of Aaron and his sons. So now we go to Kohath, and Kohath had four sons, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel. And then from Amram came Aaron and Moses, and from Aaron came Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And these people that are listed under here um, are, are listed. And, and just bear in mind that this chart is not complete, okay? I didn't finish the lines from Merari and Gershon because I just put down a skeleton. And this skeleton, actually, there could be inner, inserted different names, but just understand that this chart is correct, but there are many uh, other names that could be filled in on this. So it's not complete. It's just here to keep it simple, even though it looks fairly busy. Um, and so I'm just going to leave it up there because we're going to be talking about these people. And I want you to see graphically where they came from and how it all happened. So let's look at verse 1 of chapter 23. Notice it says, So when David was old, so this is at the end of David's life, toward the end. When David was old and full of days, he made his son Solomon king over Israel. And he gathered together all the leaders of Israel with the priests and the Levites now the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years and above. 
and the number of the individual males was 38,000. And you can put in your Bibles a little reference, Exodus chapter 6, uh, verses 16 through 27. Again, Exodus 6, 16 through 27. Gives a little more background on this. But this was the age, this age from uh, 30 years old and above for the, for the Levites. And this was the age where they were to serve. And we see this precedent in the, uh, in the Old Testament given by the Lord to Moses. And you might want to write another scripture down, uh, just in the margin of your Bible next to this, Numbers chapter 4, 1 through 6. And let me just read it to you. And it speaks about the specific responsibilities for Kohath and his sons. And so um, notice what it says in verse 1 of Numbers 4. It says, Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, saying, Take a census of the sons of Kohath from among the children of Levi by their families, by their father's house, from 30 years old and above, even to 50 years old. So here's a range from 30 to 50 years old, all who enter the service to do the work in the tabernacle of meeting. So God is giving this to them as they had come out of Israel. Now they are in the desert wandering around for 40 years. It was during that 40-year wandering period that God gave all of this instruction to them. And so by the time that they build the tabernacle out there in the desert, God gives them rules and, and, and things to guidelines for service. And for the Levites, it was to be from 30 to 50 years old. And this would be roughly the prime of life for any male. You know, from 30 years old to 50, that's when you're probably the most developed, the strongest, and you've got all your, you've gone through the teenage years, you're a little more stable. <laughs> Can anybody relate to that? The stable years, the more stable years? And so it goes on in verse 4 and it says, This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting relating to the most holy things. Notice, these men were relegated or delegated to the most holy things, meaning the things in the holy of holies and the holy place, the, the instruments of the, of the sacrifice and the altar of burnt, you know, of, of, of um, the altar of incense and the table of showbread, the lighting of the lampstand and even once a year, going in behind the veil as the high priest would do once a year to offer a one sacrifice for the nation of Israel on the mercy seat with blood. These specific things in the holy place and the holy of holies was designated for the sons of Kohath alone. No other Levites were to do this. Only Aaron's son from the line of Kohath were delegated to these specific things. No one else was supposed to even look at this stuff that they're doing. This is, and then he goes on in verse 4 in Numbers, um, in Numbers 4 there, and he says, This is the service of the sons of Kohath in the tabernacle of meeting, relating to the most holy things. And when the camp prepares to journey, Aaron and his sons, they shall come, and they shall take down the covering veil and cover the ark of testimony with it, and then they shall put it on a covering put on it a covering of badger skins and spread over that a cloth entirely of blue and they shall insert its poles. And so this they would do for each of those pieces of furniture in the tabernacle. They would do the same thing. And you know, it's kind of interesting too when you think about the symbolism of the badger skins. You know, first off, there was a death. There was a, there was a, a sacrifice that had to be uh, done. Uh, badgers had to die. Sorry, badgers. 
But they died and they, their skins were taken over those holy elements, speaking of a sacrifice, covering it in the blood, if you will. And then on top of that, blue, which is a color of heaven. When, when you look up in the sky, except in Rochester, but on a, clear, on a clear day, you look up and you see blue sky and it speaks of the heavenly origin, the heavenly realm of God. And that's why the color of blue is used. It's a color of royalty as well. But it speaks of the heavenly realm. And notice, and the number of individuals, males was 38,000. And of these, of these 38,000, 24,000 were to look after the work of the house of the Lord. 6,000 were officers and judges. 4,000 were gatekeepers. 4,000 praised, notice this, underline this, because worship in song is a characteristic or a um, uh, something that was only uh, really focused on during David's reign and afterwards. Uh, worship and song and singing and instruments, it really wasn't part of the Mosaic law, and they were more focused on the, the sacrifice themselves. But now with David, he would invent instruments, and he would assign these things for praise and worship of God in addition to the sacrifices. So nothing was taken away. Rather, the worship service was augmented, if you will, by the service of music. And David himself being a musician, remember going in before Saul and playing the harp when Saul was troubled by demon spirits. And the demon spirits left because David would prophesy as he would play the harp and the demons would leave and Saul was relieved. So David was a musician. He was a gifted songwriter. So 4,000 were gatekeepers. 4,000 praised the Lord with musical instruments, which I made, said David, for giving praise. And so David would, beginning with verse 6 in the next verse, through verse 24, he's going to divide the Levites and their responsibilities based on their family descent, based on, you know, Gershon, as we see up here in this chart, uh, Gershon and Kohath and Merari. Each of those families would have specific responsibilities in serving the tabernacle. And, and as we're talking about this, just be thinking about this place, you know, in the church. You know, uh, think about service in, in that regard. Because there's a place for you if there's something that God has called you to. And it may be something simple, it may be something a little more complex, but, don't, but be praying about that because um, it's important for you and for the body of Christ. Notice in verse 6, it says, David separated them into divisions among the sons of Levi. And again, he mentions Gershon. And we're going to see Gershon in verse 7 below, uh, speaking of his, his sons that, and, and the things they were going to do. And then Kohath in verse 12. And then finally, and Merari, beginning in verse 21. But let's start with the Gershonites in verse 7. It says, of the Gershonites, Laodin, uh, his name is Libni in uh, chapter 6, verse 17. It's just another name for Laodin and Shimei. In verse 8, the sons of Laodin, the first, Jehiel, and then Zetham and Joel, three in all. And the sons of Shimei, Shelomith, Haziel, and Haran, three in all. These were the heads of the fathers' houses of Laodin. And the sons of Shimei, Jahath, Zena, Jeush, and Beriah. These were the four sons of Shimei. 
Jahath was the first, and Ziza the second, but Jeush and Beriah did not have many sons, and therefore they were assigned as one father's house. And so as we go through this, I'm going to be listing some names, and there's really not a great deal about these folks other than that they're, other than that they're available and they're faithful in doing what God had them to do. And none of them were complaining. Verse 12, it says, Now the sons of Kohath, Amram, Izhar, Hebron, and Uziel, four and all. And you can see their names up here on the screen. The sons of Amram, and then it says Aaron and Moses. And Aaron was set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify, notice, the most holy things. Those are the things inside the, 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 the tabernacle and ultimately will be inside this temple that Solomon is going to build in the holy place and the holy of holies. These were the things that they were supposed to take care of. And only them, no one else. Otherwise, they would be put to death. That's how serious God was about order and about handling the holy things. God says, if any one of the Levites just waltzes in and thinks that he can do something other than what Aaron and his sons are doing, to just say, well, I want to do this today, they would be struck dead. God would kill them. And that may sound a little harsh, but it reminds me to stay in my lane. <laughs> right? Stay in your lane. Do what God has called you to do. And, and, and stop looking at everybody else saying, well, I, I can't really serve God unless I get to do this. Well, you may be waiting for a long time. When I first came to this church, I was happy to do toilets, wash tables, you know, mop floors. I'm not afraid to do those things, and from time to time I do them still. I'm not afraid to do any of that stuff. Hundreds of times, hundreds of times, me and other brothers in this fellowship have mopped those floors, have washed those tables, hundreds, maybe even closer to a thousand. Who knows? It's, it's quite a bit. It doesn't really matter. But the sons of Amram, Aaron and Moses, verse 13, and Aaron was set apart. Notice that. And does that sound fair to you? How God will choose someone? He'll set somebody apart, but not somebody else? Well, he's got a plan for that other person. But he set him apart for this. And he set him apart for that. Everyone should just agree and say, hallelujah, at least I get to do something, Lord. I'm glad to do something. But that's not our old nature, is it? Our old natures always think, well, why does he get to do that? How come he gets to do that? Why is he on television? You know, people get like that. But he would sanctify Aaron and his sons were set apart, he and his sons forever, that he should sanctify the most holy things to burn incense, notice, before the Lord, to minister to him and to give the blessing in his name forever. Very specific, very blessed vocation for these young men. And now the sons of Moses, the man of God, were reckoned to the tribe of Levi. And the sons of Moses were Gershon and Eleazar. And you can see their names again on the chart behind me. And of the sons of Gershon, Shebuel was the first. Of the descendants of Eleazar, Rehabiah was the first. And Eleazar had no other sons. But the sons of Rehabiah were very many. And again, I love how detailed the scripture is. This is not something that some, somebody just made up. These are real records, folks. In fact, they're very accurate. These are real things. And of the sons of Izhar, verse 18, Shelomith was the first. Of the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first. 
Amariah the second, Jehaziel the third, and Jechamiam the fourth. Of the sons of Uziel, Micah was the first, and Jeshiah the second. And then the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushai. The sons of Mali were Eleazar and Kish. And Eleazar died and had no sons, but only daughters. And their brethren, the sons of Kish, took them as wives. And the sons of Mushai were Mali, Adar, and Jeremoth, three and all. And these were the sons, verse 24, by, of Levi, by their fathers' houses, the heads of the fathers' houses, as they were counted individually by the number of their names. Notice, who did the work for the service of the house of the Lord from the age of 20 years and above. Now, if you were listening when I first read the first couple of verses in our chapter, you may notice a discrepancy here, right? Talked about in verse 3. If you look at verse 3, it says that the Levites were numbered from the age of 30 years old and above, and the number of individual males was 38,000. Now, we know that the Mosaic Law stated that there was also a five-year apprenticeship uh, a program, if you will, and that started at the age of 25. And we get that from Numbers chapter 8, beginning in verse 23. So Numbers 8, verse 23. And let me just read it to you. And, and so there's this uh, five-year apprentice period, but David even takes it back to 20. So you're wondering, well, what gives? Well, we'll get to that. But notice Numbers 8, verse 23. That the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, this is what pertains to the Levites. From 25 years old and above, one may enter to perform the service in the work of the tabernacle of meeting. Again, he has to be a Levite. Of, has to be a Levite. At the age of 50 years old, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more, probably because they're complaining about their knees. You know, by the time you're 50, all of a sudden aches and pains start coming. You know, think about these guys having to lift these animals up on the altar. I mean, you do that several times a day, especially during Passover and stuff like that. Now, number one, you're going to be a massive guy because you're going to be doing that every day. You're going to be a man's man. But after a while, the body starts to wear a little thin. The ligaments start to get a little testy. And God is saying, okay, guys, let's just make this real easy because I want you to live. Do you notice the grace of God in that? I'm not going to have you burn your ligaments out and burn all your joints out. I'm going to have you live in this prime of your life, you're going to serve me. And I would encourage you to serve God in the prime of your life, not when, you know, you do your whole life and your job, and then now that I'm retired and I'm, you know, 65 or whatever, now I'm going to serve God. You know what? Serve God now. Start now. You don't have to, you, you still have to make a paycheck, and you still have to go to work, but serve him now. Find something in the church. There's plenty of things to do, or, or, or even outside of the church. And serve God now. Don't wait until you retire, because when you get to your, your retirement, you may, you may be too, you may not be in the place where you want to serve anymore. And that happens. People make all kinds of grand things. Well, I'm going to wait until I finish. And then when I retire and I move to Florida, then I'll serve God. No, when you move to Florida, you're going to play golf and lay around and fish all day. And that's what happens to some, right? So serve the Lord now. But notice, at the age of 50, they must cease performing this work and shall work no more. They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting. Do you see what's happening here? These younger guys at 25 are coming in. These guys that are 50, on their way out, they're helping these guys, telling them, leading them through the ropes, showing them the ropes. And if their hearts are right, they're going to do everything they can to fill their hands with the ministry. And then they're going to do something else, these other guys. There's nothing wrong with that. 
They may minister with their brethren in the tabernacle of meeting to attend to needs, but they themselves shall do no work. Thus you shall do to the Levites regarding their duties. But now David changes this age from 30 down to 20. And you may be wondering, well, that's even five years younger, you know, five years younger than this apprenticeship program that God had. What gives? Well, the only thing I can tell you is that this work was enormous. This work of the tabernacle and everything, all the ministry in the tabernacle of it was huge. There was a lot of work to be done. And so 20 may be due, may be due to the enormous amount of service that needed to be done. And we'll see this confirmed when we get to verse 27. David says the same thing. And it doesn't mean that he's somehow out of the will of God. You know, God may have just instructed him to do that. We really don't know, and it doesn't really matter, because at 20 years old, you're ready to start to fly. I mean, most 20-year-old males are ready to jump in and do the work anyway. You know, they're going to grab the chainsaw and they're going to, you know, follow their dad up the mountain, right? (laughs) And bring the tree back on their back, you know, while the dad watches them, of course. Verse 25, for David said, the Lord God of Israel has given rest to his people that they may dwell in Jerusalem forever and also to the Levites. They shall no longer carry the tabernacle. Hallelujah. They don't have to carry it around the desert all those times that they were in the desert. Now there's going to be one place, one place, stationary, permanent. Hallelujah. They shall no longer carry the tabernacle, verse 26, or any of the articles for its service. For by the last words of David, the Levites were numbered from 20 years old and above, because their duty was to help the sons of Aaron. Notice, to help the sons of Aaron, the ones who were in the ho- doing you know, the, the work of the sacrifices and, and, and tending to the holy things, they needed help. And so their duty was to help the sons of Aaron, in the service of the house of the Lord, in the courts and in the chambers, in the purifying of all holy things and the work of the service of the house of God, both with the showbread and the fine flour for the grain offering, with the unleavened cakes and what is baked in the pan, with what is mixed and with all kinds of measures and sizes, to stand, notice, every morning, notice, underline this, to thank and praise the Lord. And likewise at evening. They were to thank and praise the Lord. What a wonderful thing. Because before David, during the time of Moses, and even after, during the time of Joshua, through Samuel, music, worshiping in song, or with a voice, really wasn't a significant feature of the worship. If you go back in the Old Testament, it really wasn't a significant feature at all. And rightly so, because the the foundation of their worship was animal sacrifice. That was worship. That was worship. In fact, at the foundation of worship is sacrifice. It's not really called worship unless there's sacrifice involved. And 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 I know I've said this before, but sometimes, you know, it can be as simple as when you come in here, you know, and we start singing, and it's a song that you know or know very well, and you just, you don't want to sing. Do you know that that can be a sacrifice of praise? You, you sing anyway. Because your feelings will never jive with your, will never jive with the Spirit of God. I have to, make, I have to determine to do it. Why? Because he's worthy. And people will call you a hypocrite. The devil will call you a hypocrite. Well, you don't really feel that way. God's not going to receive that. 
I think he does. In fact, I think he receives it more when you really are struggling and you do it as unto him. And you do it as an act of worship, as, a, as an, a, 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 an act of faith and obedience to him. He, he really loves that. Even when your feelings are shot and your feelings have nothing to do with it, and you're like, Lord, I don't even know if I should be here tonight. I just, I'm such a mess. And he's like, well, can you just worship me then? I can't do that. Well, try. And I can tell you, because I've been in that same space and many years I sat up, you know, or been up here leading in worship. And, and I'll be honest with you, there are times that I didn't feel like it. There are many times in my life where I felt insecure by myself and maybe struggling with some issue of sin in my own life. And it was transparent to you, all of you. you. Or, I'm sorry, you didn't know it was happening. And God is like, Rob, I know you're not feeling it right now. It's great when the feelings are there, trust me. But many times, or sometimes, the feelings aren't there. And the Lord really encouraged me one time when I felt like a complete flop. My heart wasn't in it. My guitar was out of tune. Everything was just a wreck. And you know, I looked out after opening my eyes. I was just closing my eyes and going through the motions. Thinking, God, I don't know how, I, I wonder if I should just, you know, unplug and walk off this stage. And I look out and I open my eyes and people are standing and they're worshiping. And God reminded me right then, it's not about you. I mean, I thought I knew that, but that was a painful lesson. It's not about you. It's not how you feel. Because there are times when I'm feeling really great and I'm really into it, or Sarah and I or whoever, you're really into it and you just feel it. Everything is, everything's in tune. Every, oh, it's, everything is happening and there's like crickets. <laughs> there's crickets in the, in the congregation. And then the devil comes along and says, see, you weren't worshiping at all. You're just worshiping yourself. And that's a lie too. So you can't really be concerned about any of that. The point is, don't let your feelings get in the way. Just worship God because he deserves it, right? And it's interesting because music wasn't the main thing in the Mosaic, uh, in the Mosaic law during the sacrifices. Prior to David, it wasn't really a significant feature at all. And, and it shouldn't be any wonder because, like I said, at the heart of worship is sacrifice. And it wasn't until David that music became a prominent feature in the worship in Jerusalem, in the tabernacle, and ultimately in Solomon's uh, temple. And even David invented musical instruments for the, for the Levites to use. It was a really big deal, and I think God was blessed with it. He was satisfied with just the offerings of, of the, you know, the different grain offerings and the, you know, the animals being sacrificed and all of the, you know, the stuff we talk about in Leviticus. And then when David had in his heart to accompany that with singing and worship, God's like, I like that. It wasn't, it's not necessary, David, but you know what? I love it. I love it. So, verse 31, at every presentation of a burnt offering to the Lord, they did this on the Sabbaths, on the new moons, on the set feasts, by number, notice, by number, according to the ordinance governing them, regularly before the Lord. Notice, they were doing it before the Lord, not before the people. It's important that when we worship, that we're worshiping Him. We're not worshiping, to, we're not worshiping people. If we can always remember why we do what we do. I remember I gave you that story of one time I was out here and when we had the school many years ago and I was out there and I was getting frustrated because I felt like all I was doing was cleaning tables and mopping floors. And I love Jeff, as you know. 
And there came a point where just days and days and days go by, and you're just like, man, I, I really just want to go in my office and just learn some new worship songs and, and, and continue doing the things that I am here to do. And I, I, I remember just being really frustrated. And I'm just like, Lord, I can't do this anymore. And he's like, you, you can't do it for Jeff, but can you do it for me? And all of a sudden, ooh. I, I literally, it was like, it was like a, one of those moments. Can you do it for me, though? And it changed my whole attitude. Then I realized, no matter what I did, I'm doing it for him. I'm not doing it for Jeff. As much as I love Jeff, there comes a point where any man on the earth or any woman, I will do certain things, but when it goes above and above and above, there's a point where you, most of us will be like, I'm not going to do it for them anymore. And God's like, well, can you do it for me then? And from that point, I think, is really my worship really began when I could stop doing it for someone else and really doing it for him. So he says, they did it regularly before Jehovah. Verse 2, and that they should attend to the needs of the tabernacle of meeting, the needs of the holy place, and the needs of the sons of Aaron, their brethren, in the work of the house of the Lord. How glorious. Verse uh, chapter 24, it says, now these are the divisions of the names of the sons of Aaron. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, Abihu, you can see it up here on the screen. The sons of Aaron were Nadab, the oldest, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. And Nadab and Abihu died before their father and had no children because Eleazar and Ithamar ministered as priests. So the Lord here reminds us of what happened long ago. And it's being brought up here. And he's reminding us this when the priesthood began during Israel's wandering in the desert, the error in worship of Nadab and Abihu. And this would be a good reminder for um, God's holy standard as the exiles. Remember, the book of Chronicles was probably written in Babylon. And when they were set free to come back and rebuild their temple, it wasn't as glorious as you know, their, their original temple. But as they come back now, they've got this chronicle of things and and right here in the beginning it mentions these two individuals Nadab and Abihu remember um, it says in Leviticus chapter 10 you might want to write that in your Bible right here uh, Leviticus 10 and I'm just going to read you the first 11 verses really quick because uh, I don't think this was, it wasn't a mistake that God put this in here because as they came back from Babylon into Jerusalem to rebuild the temple Zerubbabel's temple we would call it after the, after the 70-year exile in Babylon, they're going to need to be reminded of this. Hey, do you remember? Do you remember what happened? So that, to me, is a wake-up call for the Levites to say, hey, listen, we're going to do it the way God wants it to be done. We're not here to make up worship however we want to do it. And, and none of us are to do that. And especially the Levites. They were told specifically, very, very carefully, this is what I want you to do. This is how I want you to do it. And they were simply to do that. They, they, they weren't given license to just say, you know, I don't feel like it today. I want to do some, I want to kick it up a notch. And see, this is where Nadab and Abihu, and this was early when the tabernacle had been made. That was very early on. They were like, I'm tired of doing the same thing. And they decided to get out the sparklers and do something a little bit, a little bit more jazzy. Just kind of spice things up a little bit. Read, let me read it to you in Leviticus 10. It says, Then Nadab and Abihu, 
The sons of Aaron each took his censer and put fire in it and put incense on it, which they weren't supposed to do, and offered profane fire before the Lord. They were supposed to do something very specific. They didn't obey God, which he had not commanded them to do. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. It burnt them up in a crisp and burned them. Devoured them, and they died before the Lord. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, By those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. So Aaron held his peace. And then Moses called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near and carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. So they went near They carried them by their tunics out of the camp, as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eleazar and to Ithamar, the two remaining sons of Aaron, Do not uncover your heads, nor tear your clothes. In other words, don't mourn for them. Don't mourn for them, lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. But let your brethren, the whole house of Israel, bewail the burning which the Lord has kindled. You shall not go out from the door of the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die, for the anointing oil of the Lord is upon you. And notice, and they did according to the word of Moses. And then the Lord spoke to Aaron, saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. Notice he's speaking to the priests. I think there's some priests in Rochester need to read this. Do you follow me? How many people I've talked to that have gone and talked to a priest and the guy's half in the bag and it's not even noon yet? Father so-and-so. Or it could be a Protestant preacher. Let's just be honest. But notice what God says. Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. These guys wanted to spice it up a little bit. And maybe you need to be spiced up so they'll drink liquor and kind of, you know, I can do this, it's no big deal. And God's like, no, you come before me and you better be holy because I am holy. I am set apart and you need to be set apart. And he says, it shall be a statute forever. Notice, he says, do not drink wine or intoxicating drink, nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations that you may distinguish, notice, between holy and unholy, between the unclean and the clean, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hand of Moses. Pretty interesting, isn't it? So Nadab and Abihu died, and now Eleazar, who was the oldest, and Ithamar, they would continue on, having learned a very painful lesson by losing their two oldest brothers. And then verse 3, David was Zadok of the sons of Eleazar and Ahimelech of the sons of Ithamar. All these names are listed behind me according to um, their fathers, as you can see. Again, it's not a complete list. There can be a lot of, a lot of stuff I didn't add to this. But there were more leaders found, verse 4, of the sons of Eleazar than of the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided. Among the sons of Eleazar were 16 heads of their fathers and 8 heads of their fathers' uh, houses among the sons of Ithamar, and thus they were divided by lot. Uh, Underline that, because this is kind of interesting. They were divided by lot, one group as another, for their 
For there were officials of the sanctuary and officials of the house of God from the sons of Eleazar and from the sons of Ithamar. But by casting lots, it would mitigate strife and jealousy. Do you see? It's sort of like when, you, when, when, when God wants to divide up responsibilities and, and when this person does this and when this person does that, uh, we, we tend to get really uh, anxious and jealous when somebody is saying, well, I want you to be first and I want you to be second. I want you to be third, and I want you to be last, and not the guy at the last going, why am I always last, you know? And then everybody starts complaining, and God says, well, we can just get rid of that altogether. <laughs> I love what it says in Proverbs 16, verse 33. It says, the, lat, the lot is cast into the lap, but it's every decision is from the Lord. So an easy, fair way to get through all this nonsense is just to cast lots for the responsibilities, who does what. It was fair. Nobody can complain. And by having 24 divisions, each group would serve in the temple for about two weeks out of the year. Think about that. Two weeks out of the year. And this rotation continued from then until the time of Christ. Until Jesus, the same order that David had established was in place. Let me read to you Luke, uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, remember uh, Zacharias, who was the father of John the Baptist. It says, there, and this is Luke chapter 1, verse 5. There was in the days of Herod, the king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias, of the division of Abijah. We're going to hear about Abijah in a few minutes. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. So of the order of Abijah, meaning he had a specific division, he had a specific time every year that his family would go in and they would do certain things in the uh, uh, tabernacle, or in the temple, excuse me. And so Zacharias was of the order of Abijah, and we're going to read about him in just a few moments. But this started with David, this idea of rotation and courses and divisions to get everybody in there, and everybody would serve in their course, if you will, sort of like the way we do in the meal ministry and other ministries in the church. Verse 6, And the scribe Shemaiah, the son of Nethanel, one of the Levites, wrote them down before the king, the leaders, wrote them down before Zadok the priest, Ahimelech the son of Abiathar, and the heads of the father's houses of the priests and the Levites, one father's house taken for Eleazar and one for Ithamar. And now it gets into these different courses. Now the first lot fell to Jehoiarib, the second to Jediah, to the third to Harim, the fourth to Sororim, the fifth to Melchizedek, the sixth to Mizjamin, the seventh to Hakaz, the, the eighth to Abijah. And there it is. That's the order of, that was the order, the seventh order, or the eighth order, was the same order that John the Baptist's father belonged to. The ninth to Yeshua, the tenth to Shechaniah, the eleventh to Eliashib, the twelfth to Jachim, the thirteenth to Hupa, the fourteenth to Jeshabiab, the fifteenth to Bilgah, the sixteenth to Immer, the seventeenth to Hezer, the eighteenth to Hapazes. The 19th to Pethahiah, the 20th to Jehezekel, the 21st to Yakin, the 22nd to Gamol, the 23rd to Delaiah, the 24th to Meaziah. And this, verse 19, was the schedule of their services. So just a, a schedule of who's serving when at what time. 
And, the, and it says, and this was the schedule of their service for coming into the house of the Lord according to their ordinance by the hand of Aaron, their father, as the Lord God of Israel had commanded them. Again, God does everything decently and in order. He would like to do everything decently and in order. And sometimes there's not things being done decently and in order. And usually that's just because people aren't thinking ahead and uh, not, being, um, not, not listening. Verse 20, And the rest of the sons of Levi, of the sons of Amram, Shubal, Shubael, of the sons of Shubael, Jediah, concerning Re, uh, Rehabiah, of the sons of Rehabiah, the first was Ishiah, of the Israelite, Shelemoth, of the sons of Shelemoth, Jahath, of the sons of Hebron, Jeriah was the first, Amariah the second, Jehaziel the third, and Jechamiam the fourth, of the sons of Uziel, Micah, of the sons of Micah, Shamir, verse 25, the brother of Micah, Ishiah, of the sons of Ishiah, Zechariah, the sons of Merari were Mali and Mushai, the sons of Jaziah, Bino. The sons of Merari by Jaziah were Bino, Shoham, Zachur, and Ibri, Ibri. Of Mali, Eliezer, who had no sons. Of Kish, the son of Kish, Jeremiel. Also the sons of Mushai were Mali, Eder, and Jeremoth. These were the sons of the Levites, according to their fathers' houses. These also cast lots, just as their brothers of Aaron did. In the presence of King David, Zadok, Ahimelech, and the heads of the fathers' houses of the priests and the Levites, the chief fathers did, just as their younger brethren. So notice that even the heads of the, of the fathers, they all together, they, they cast lots for all of them. They, they, they didn't you know, make themselves, you know, give themselves preference. They all did these things. And by doing so in that way, they removed a lot of uh, trouble uh, in, um, in their service. And then in chapter 25, it's getting to the musicians now. And it says, moreover, David and the captains of the army, notice, separated for the service. And you may be scratching your head. Why is David and the captains of the army, why are they separating some of the sons of Asaph, of Heman, and of Jeduthun? who should prophesy with harp, stringed instruments, and cymbals. And the number of the skilled men performed their, servant, performed their service was, and he lists them, and we'll get to that. But the fact that David and his captains of the army were separating musicians, what this really reminds me of is, it kind of harkens back, doesn't it, to the book of Joshua, where music was part of the spiritual and the psychological warfare against Jericho. Do you remember that? Once a day, they were to circle around Jericho. Once a day, for six days. And they would, the, the priests would be out there, the armed men, then the priests with the shofar, and they'd be blowing trumpets and basically worshiping God. And you know what that does to, an, to a people that are um, in, you know, kind of um, walled in in their city, and they're all scared to death, and they're inside. And then you see your enemy circling you and singing or, or, or worshiping with ram's horns. And then they go away. And the next day, they come back and they do the same thing. By the third or fourth day, they're probably going, ah, big deal, these crazy Jews. And then the seventh day comes, and they do it seven times. And then they're, they're, they're blowing the shofars, and then they blow really hard, and everybody shouts, and the walls of Jericho just go, 
And they go straight up into it and they invade it and they take control over it. The psychological warfare. Because in, from the Jews' perspective, God had already given them the victory. You know, there's nothing more scary than when your enemy is singing and dancing. And I don't know if they were dancing, but they were certainly blowing the trumpets or blowing the shofars, okay? They were certainly doing that. And it was almost like they had the victory before they even started. Well, it's because that was true. <laughs> they already had the victory. The victory shout was already gone. Psychologically, you know what that does to your enemy? It freaks them out. They, they start going postal. They start popping pills and drinking whiskey. That's what happens. They can't handle it. It's all psychological and spiritual. God knew what he was doing. He says, just do this six times, and on the seventh day, do it seven times, and just do what I said. Trust me, I'll leave the rest up to me. All we had to do is be obedient. Notice going on, it says, uh, David, and, and they separated some of the sons of Asaph and Heman and Jeduthun, who had prophesied, notice, prophesy with harps and stringed instruments and cymbals. Now, Asaph represented the tribe of Gershon, Heman represented the, that of Kohath, and Jeduthun represented the family of Merari. You can look in 1 Chronicles 16, verses 33 through 48, and it, and it labels that very clearly. But many of the Psalms, well, not many, but 12 of the Psalms were ascribed to Asaph himself. You know that little epithet up at the, bo up at the top, or that little, uh, it's not an epithet, but it's a little uh, uh, description of the psalm. And many of them said, in fact, Psalm 50 and Psalm 73 through 83, I'll say, a psalm of Asaph. And this was the man, this leader and very gifted man in music. And then He-Man, his name means faithful. He was the grandson of the prophet Samuel. He was the grandson of the prophet Samuel. Check out 1 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 33, and you'll see that this man, He-Man, was the grandson of the prophet Samuel. Very interesting. And, uh, and notice that they prophesied with harps and stringed instruments. Are you kidding me? Prophesying? What does that mean? Prophesying with harps, stringed instruments, and cymbals? We do it every time when we're up here. Much of the time we're prophesying. And you may be thinking to yourself, no, you're just singing sometimes the word of God. And well, that's exactly what prophesying really is. There's two elements of prophesying. One is speaking divinely of future events that haven't happened yet. That can be prophecy. But prophecy is also telling forth the word of God. And so when we sing psalms, like, you know, the psalms that we sing from time to time, we're prophesying. And there are also people who can prophesy of, of events that may be coming. Some of them are right on, some of them are not right at all. But we saw precedence for this in 1 Samuel 10. Remember when Samuel anointed Saul to be king over Israel. It's recorded for us in chapter 10 of 1 Samuel. When uh, Samuel came to anoint Saul and um, Samuel is getting ready to leave and and, uh, and then Samuel brings Saul aside and he says, um, let the men who are with you go and um, go from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor. And the three, there are uh, three men were going up to, um, actually, let me back up here. I totally messed that up. 
Let me start off in verse 1. That would help. <laughs> this is in um, 1 Samuel chapter 10, and we see the precedent of this, so it's nothing that should uh, shock anyone. It, it was very common in uh, 1 Samuel 10. It says, that, And then Samuel took a flask of oil, and he poured it on his head, meaning Saul's head, when Saul was anointed king, and he kissed him, and he said, Is it not because the Lord has anointed you commander over his inheritance? And when you have departed from me today, you will find two men by Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin at Zelzah, and they will say to you, The donkeys which you went to look for have been found, and now your father has ceased caring about the donkeys and is now worried about you, saying, What shall I do about my son? Then you shall go on forward from there and come to the terebinth tree of Tabor, and the three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, another carrying three loaves of bread, another carrying a skin of wine, and they will greet you, notice, and give you two loaves of bread, which you shall receive in their hands. After that, you shall come to the hill of God, where the Philistine garrison is, and it will happen when you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, and a harp before them, and they will be prophesying. They will be prophesying. And so these men in the temple, they were there to prophesy with stringed instruments, with symbols. And of the sons of Asaph, verse 2, Zachar, Joseph, Nethaniah, and Asher... Um, Asherella, I'm butchering that one. The sons of Asaph were under the direction of Asaph, who prophesied, again, notice, according to the order of the king. Of Jeduthun, the sons of Jeduthun, Gedaliah, Zerai, Jeshaiah, Shimei, Hashabiah, and Mattathiah, six, under the direction of their father, Jeduthun, who prophesied, again, with a harp, to give thanks and to praise the Lord. Notice that. And of Heman, the son of... The sons of Heman, Bukai, Mataniah, Uziel, Shabuel, Jeremoth, Hananiah, Hanani, Eliathan, Gedalti, Romanti, Ezer, Josh, Bikashah, Malathi, Hothir, and Mahazioth. All these were sons of Heman, the king's seer, in the words of God, to exalt his horn. For God gave Heman fourteen sons and three daughters. So these seven were the great-grandsons. Now, so after he has all these grandsons, these 17, or has all these sons and daughters, 17, they were the great-grandsons, or great-grandchildren, excuse me, of Samuel the prophet. And all these were under the, under the direction of their father for the music and the house of the Lord, with cymbals, stringed instruments, and harps for the service of the house of God, Asaph, Jeduthun, and Heman were under the authority of the king. So these men were skilled in, 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 all, in, in instruments. They were skilled. And so the number of them, verse 7, with their brethren who were instructed in the songs of the Lord, all who were skillful, I would encourage you to underline all who were skillful, was 288. Notice, again, all who were skillful. You know, music ministry is something that God calls you to, and if he does, he will have given you the skill to accomplish it. Because the truth of the matter is, we are all called to worship, aren't we, as, as the church, the body of Christ. We're all called to worship the Lord, but not all of us are called to lead in worship and be on the worship team. You need to be skilled. 
Or at least have command of your instrument to lead in worship, whether it's with an instrument or with your voice. You have to know that instrument enough to not be a distraction. Because if you don't have a baseline skill and proficiency, you will be a distraction more than a blessing to your brothers and sisters in Christ. <laughs> right? So there has to be a baseline. If you're just learning to play an instrument or sing, that's awesome. You know, continue to work at it. Make a joyful noise to the Lord at home or in your car, and when you become proficient, then let's talk about getting you involved in worship. I remember having someone come up to me uh, one time, it was many years ago, and, the, and a young kid, and I mean, actually he was, a, he was probably in his late tw- or middle, middle 20s, something like that, and he comes up, I'd never seen him before, he just comes in for the first time, and he goes, hey, and he knew I was the worship leader, and he comes up and he says, hey, I got my, uh, my congas in the car, let me bring him in, and he started to go out the, go out the door to get his congas, and I'm like, hey, wait a minute, I goes, I don't even know who you are. I don't even know how if you can play. Oh, I can play great. Let's do it. Let's just jam. And I'm like, no. <laughs> no, we're not just going to come up here and jam. <laughs> Had no idea. Had no idea. Do, do, you know, and, and some will be like, well, I, I want to do this. I want to, you know, and some people are just be honest. I want, I want to be seen. And I'm like, well, this is really not the place to be seen. The devil will kill you. <laughs> you think you got a bad time at, at, at your job, you, you know, you want to be seen, you know, anyway, so. And they cast lots, notice, for their, for their duty, but notice they were, they were skillful in what they did. Skillful in what they did. You know, I, I think about, and I, I got to say this, there's, there's men in the body that do things around the church, and they're here, lately they've been here every day, doing stuff, you know, a wide variety of things. And they have skills that I don't have. That's not my skill. And yet they're doing things. They're skilled to do what they do. God has given them a gift. And many of them, that's what they do for a living. And they've given that gift to the Lord as well. And they come in and they do these things. And many other things in in the church. And um, and, and it's just amazing. And, And this is what it's supposed to be. You know, learn. If you've got something, you've got a heart, well, learn what it is and be proficient at it and then give it to the Lord. And they cast lots for their duty, the small, well, as well as the great, the teacher with the student, notice, to get rid of all uh, strife. Verse 9, now the first lot of Asaph came out for Joseph, the second for Gedaliah, him with his brethren and his sons, twelve. Of the third... For Zachar, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The fourth for Jizri, his sons and his brethren, twelve. The fifth for Nethaniah, the sons. And it goes on and on down to, uh, let's just go right down to the the 24th here. Uh, And the 24th for Romanti, Ezer, his sons and his brethren, twelve. And you can go back and just look at these names and, and the people that were involved in this worship. And again, you know, God is a God of order. And David just wanted to make sure that his son Solomon had everything ready. He laid up for his son. The parent laid up for the son, for the kids. And not only did he lay up for him, but he he did it in such a way so that everything could be done decently and in order. Think of the horror it would have been for Solomon who came to the throne at a very young age. 
He came to such a young age that David's men uh, that he trusted were around Solomon for a good handful of years before he would actually, you know, they, they were keeping an eye on him. Because he, he wasn't old enough, and, and there were certain things he needed help and guidance with. And thank God for these men that were willing, even though they were much older and more accomplished, they didn't try to usurp Solomon. They were there to be his help and to lift up his hands and guide him and, 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 and be a protectorate for him. And, and they did all this faithfully. And that's why I believe David was, or excuse me, Solomon's ministry and his reign was such a great thing. And by the time he was old enough to really start the temple and to really start putting down the, you know, the, the blocks, you know, the, the cornerstone, he had everything ready. Think about that. Everything was ready. He didn't have to call the Home Depot and said, oh, well, you know, we, everything's still on the boat coming over from China. Sorry, I won't be here for another three weeks. No, everything was there. He didn't have to go to Home Depot and, and realize that they were out of nuts and bolts and they, the truck wouldn't come in until tomorrow. Everything was right there in his lap. All the people, all the service, all the servants were ready to go. Everything was orderly and they just put their hand to the work and they finished it and it was one of the most glorious things you will have ever seen if we were there present and to think of how orderly it went. You know why? Because God was at the center. Jesus was at the center of this work. God was at the center of the work. All the vainglory of men subsided, and it was just about, let's do this together. And I would love to see the church do that today. And I'm not, I'm not just talking about us here in this fellowship, but the church in America, the real Christian church, the born-again believers in America, to put aside all the stuff and come together Born-again believers coming together. Even though if we can't come together physically to say, you know what, this is what's happening in our country. We need to do something. We need to begin praying, all of us together. I know we're all praying, but you know, we need to, that needs to happen for the church to be organized like that. And oftentimes we're not very organized and the enemy is much more organized, got a lot more money but God. And sometimes he takes our, our inorganization. He can do miracles. And I'm not, I'm not saying that it's all unorganized and it's all a mess. I'm not saying that, but, but just think about that. You know, we got to be united. True, the true church, united. Instead of arguing over who's got the nicest church or how many people go to your church or um, small little doctrinal differences. Small, you know, insignificant doctrinal differences. Do you believe in Christ? Yes. You know, did, did he die for your sins? Yes. Is he the only way between, you know, to reach the Father? Yes. You know, we can get wrinkled on little things and the church just splinters and then we wonder why there's, there can be no victory sometimes. But let's think about that, pray about that. Why don't we stand together? And, and again, just be encouraged <laughs> in spite of that. Just as we go through these next, uh, next week, we'll look at chapters uh, 26 and 27. And then it'll be, um, I'm looking forward to getting into when Solomon actually begins the work. That's when it's going to get really exciting. Uh, but uh, so anyway, Father, we just thank you for this time together. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you that you are a God of order. And thank you for giving us this uh, lesson tonight. 
Lord, and how one of the greatest efforts in the history of humanity was done, Lord, the, the temple of God. And Lord, it wasn't something that was done in, in chaos. It was done perfectly in order. And Lord, we thank you for that, Lord. And, and, and that's the way you work. You're a God of order. So help us to be in order, Father. Get us in order where we're out of order. And, and again, thank you for the encouragement of this, Lord. And uh, bless my brothers and my sisters, Lord. Encourage them today, tonight, and bless their day tomorrow, Lord. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 God bless you.